You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Yeah, it is. Off and running on this Saturday, December 28th. Good morning. Welcome in. This is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. Whole bunch to do. On this Saturday morning, two full hours to run through it all. So uh, let's roll. Of course, the number you know, 1-800-919-ESPN on Twitter, on Instagram, at Gordon Damer. Before we get to it all, which we will do over the next uh, two hours, I would be remiss if I did not mention right at the top the big news from yesterday, the death of uh, Don Imus at the age of 79, obviously a huge uh, news as a radio story, huge news in a sports radio story, especially here in New York with uh, the format basically being created here uh, and his career, which lasted uh, basically 50 years, nationally syndicated, reached millions, entertained some, offended others, sometimes the very same people, right? And I was always more of a stern guy, but there is no way you can write the history of, of radio, of New York radio, without a major focus on Don Imus, plus all the charity work he did. His ranch for the kids with cancer obviously raised millions of dollars, raised money for uh, veterans of the Iraq War, uh, families impacted by SIDS. So condolences to Don Imus and his family. Don Imus was 79 years old. There were others who will be on the air, I'm sure, today. Uh, other days who had a much more direct line to him. I never worked with Imus. I never worked at the other station, so I don't know. But uh, certainly condolences to his family on that news from yesterday. Hopefully... You had a fantastic Christmas. Hopefully you're having a fantastic holiday season. It has been a little wild because it has been, it's been weird waking up at a normal time. But let's roll through things because we have a lot to get to. Week 17 in the NFL. And hey, want to be depressed? Sure. Let's start off this, start off the show with reasons for depression. After this weekend, we have 11 games left in the NFL. That's it. That's all. Until September. And with the way this year went, maybe you're like, hey, we only have 11 games left. Thank God I don't have to watch the Jets and Giants again until September. Both teams will probably have some pretty major changes. And for Week 17, clearly the Giants are the bigger focus, right, than the Jets. Jets win, Jets lose. Story this season for them has pretty much already been written. And that's not to say that when we get to the offseason, the Jets are not going to be fascinated because the directions that they could go, it's with Joe Douglas coming on when he did, we really don't know much about his abilities in terms of what he's going to do with the Jets. He, he wasn't here for the last draft, so who knows? And who knows, now that Adam Gase is firmly entrenched as the guy running the organization, we don't know what direction they're going to go in in terms of moving players, Drafting players, it certainly seems like uh, that they will. They can now be judged on their own merits after uh, after this off season. So there's a lot of things to focus on with the Giants, but with the Jets, I'm not going to touch on it too long. But a couple of things because I've been off for so long. A, the article about Adam Gase that appeared in the Daily News, I believe that was on Christmas Eve from Manish Mehta, uh, and the other is that now the season is wrapping up. And the Jets are finishing strong. There's this feeling of, oh, what might have been. Pro Football Talk had an article uh, touching on that during my time off. But let's start with the second one first. I think that any fan base, when you get to this point of the season, maybe even before you get to this point of the season, you always look back 
if you're a diehard fan and may, man, if we could have just done this, if that guy didn't get hurt or this thing went this way instead of that. But if you're a Jet fan, and look, all fan bases are going to do this. If you are a team that's outside of the playoffs or didn't live up to what your expectations were, but you feel like, hey, if the Jets finish 3-13, and obviously you would not be thinking that way. But the fact that they've won some games here over the second half after the first half was such a disaster, I think there's a more of a tendency to look at things through rose-colored glasses. But if you're looking back at how a playoff uh, spot slipped away or how things if, – if you could have just made this little tiny change and things would have been different – I think that you're essentially looking at two games, right? Two games immediately jump out. The Bengals game, the Dolphins game. Both teams have been winless. The first Dolphins game, not the second one. Both teams have been winless. And if you simply win those games, which you should have won, you're at 8-7 and seven going into the final week of the year, and then you're you know right in the mix. I don't know what the tiebreaker situation would have been, but you would have been right in the mix, and you would feel a whole lot differently about where you're at rather than where you are in Week 17. The problem with that is that you were not close to winning either of those games. In fact, outside of week one, all the close games you won this year. The Cowboys game came right down to the wire. You won that game. The second Dolphin game, right down to the wire. You won that game. Even last week, the Steelers game, that game kind of went right down to the wire. Now, I didn't have any real confidence once, what's his name, Duck Hodges came in. I certainly didn't feel good when he was in there the first time. I certainly didn't feel good with him in there the second. You could have brought him in there a fourth time. I still wouldn't have felt good. So, But that game came right down to the wire as well, and you won that game. So it's not like, hey, if we make a field goal here or there, or that guy dropped that first down, that could have kept that drive alive. It's kind of a bit of a stretch to say that those are the games you're pointing to when both games you did not play well and you really kind of got outplayed and just about every facet. So I guess you could also point to the the mono with Sam, right, week one. That was week one. You have to be able to overcome week one, right? And as for the games you missed, or he missed, can you really pick a game that they would have won in that bunch? You got outscored 84-23. to Every team can pretty much look back and say, well, you know, if this goes this way, it would have been different. You know what those are called? Those are called excuses. So I, I don't really think that if you're a Jet fan – there's reason for optimism with the way that they played here the second half. You like certain things, you don't like certain things, and it will be a fascinating offseason with the Jets, I think. Because really you have nothing to base what you are feeling right now, right? We don't really know what the approach that they're going to take, and there's going to be some some things I think that are going to probably be surprising that you would not expect. Mainly one of the the one that's been mentioned, the possibility that they move on from Livion Bell and what it would take to move that contract and all this kind I'm sure there's going to be a lot of shakeups because now Adam Gase, who did not have full control of the organization the last time the offseason started when he got the job, I think pretty clearly now it's his way or the highway. So the second thing with the Jets, 1-800-919-ESPN, the second thing was that uh, article that came out from the Daily News, Manish Mehta, about Adam Gase. Came out on Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas! (laughs) Adam Gase, and this is the way it started, and you've probably read it by now. Adam Gase has a message for every long-suffering Jet fan who has endured a lifetime of anguish. He doesn't care about you. The Daily News has learned that the embattled head coach has privately told people for months that gangrene diehards 
have never mattered to him. Also in that article, his um, give a blanco I can't use, obviously, the right words, right? His give a blanco meter is low because he has so much money in the bank that he was emboldened by getting another coaching job right away and that uh, he's going to win his way or, or not at all. And also the possibility he has a burner account on Twitter, which I could definitely see. Like if we were to list the head coaches in this town who had burner accounts, uh, I, th- I th- we'd have to run through them all. But I would, if we had to do a ranking, I feel like Gase would probably be high up there. But the article in general, I will be the first to tell you. I think that Adam Gase, if you've listened to me, I think he's had a terrible season as the Jets head coach. It's one season, but a season that had a lot of promise come in, uh, coming in, I mean, went up in smoke immediately. And even when it was still salvageable, his team didn't show up. And that's on him. That's on him. And I, I thought that he did have some positives as a head coach, but the, the negatives, which I detailed at the time, they have far outweighed whatever positives that he had coming in. But in terms of this article, I mean, could you have a bigger bunch of nonsense? Adam Gase doesn't care about the fans. Do you – I don't know. Maybe fans think this way. Do you seriously think any NFL head coach, really any college coach, any coach anywhere is sitting around in his quiet time thinking about the fans and thinking about what they have suffered through even before he got there, whatever coach it is, right? Like Adam Gase is not caring about the Jets' long-suffering fans. Like Adam Gase, you know what? These poor Jet fans, they've been suffering for 50 years. I really have to put something better together for them. Do you think anybody, any coach, anywhere is doing that? You can't be possibly that delusional, right? Like that he is factoring in the happiness or misery of the Jets fan base into any decision that he makes. Now, it would be what I mean, the way that the article portrays it is like he is coming out of the tunnel every Sunday and just flipping the double middle fingers at fans left and right. It would be one thing if he was publicly like trashing fans. He's not doing that. He just simply is not focusing his energy on any of that, nor should he. What a waste of time and energy that would be for an NFL head coach to be focusing on what the fan base is going through. He just got here. Why would he care about what happened before he arrived? (laughs) And here's the thing. Fans will swing with the results. So of course he's not going to be focused on what their, their, their feelings or concerns or anything. What a waste of time and energy. He cares about his team. If he was coaching another team, he'd be worried about that team, not the fans. This would be an absolute waste of time and energy for him to be focused on that. And I'm not a Gase fan, but I mean, I gotta be honest. Some of the things that he said has actually made me like him more. The fact, the, the the fact that he brings up, well, I don't care what the fans think, I'm rich. D- does anybody think that that's like what he's actually, or is that, do you think that that's kind of like him joking around in some way? He should not be concerned. He should be concerned about his team. He should be concerned about his quarterback. He should be concerned about what he's going to do to get this team better for next year. 
wasting any time or energy on what the fans are concerned about, to me, it would be a, a, an absolute waste of time and energy. So outside of the only thing that he may or may not have a burner account, and again, I don't really think that that's a big concern. But yeah, I could see it. 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. All right, coming up, I said I'm not going to spend that much time on the Jets, and I spent 10 minutes on the Jets. There you go. Let's get into the Giants, who actually have an interesting game this weekend. One of the more interesting games, Giants and Eagles could decide the NFC East, could decide the fate of Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman, and why that's not an easy, as easy a decision as you may think. And Dave Gettleman, I think that one's really up in the air, but it seems like everybody is is pretty convinced that Pat Shermer is going to be out of a job. And I brought this up when I did my last show on, I think it was Monday. It's been a while. But Pat Shermer, if he could just simply be judged like other people in this town, he would absolutely be back. So we'll get into that coming up. It's the Gordon Damer Show. You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, it's the Gordon Damer Show. It's 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. We take you up until 9 o'clock. Anita Marks then filling in for Dave Rothenberg on this Saturday. 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. Randy is in Cranford. He wants to talk about the Jets. Randy, what's going on, my man? Uh, good morning. Uh, I'm actually calling because you made a really great point about the fact that a coach should only care about one thing, in my mind, and that's winning uh, and ultimately getting to the Super Bowl. But that's during the season. Um, I think that a, a great coach and a great team is involved in the community during the off season. Uh, I'm I'm from Philly originally, so I'm still an Eagles fan. And the Eagles obviously winning the Super Bowl was an amazing thing. But something that the Eagles coach and a lot of the team does is they're very involved in the Philadelphia community during the off season, and it has paid a lot of dividends. They they are. I mean, obviously they're going to be beloved because they won the Super Bowl. Yep. But they're really a part of the community, and that's. That's something that Adam Gaze uh, and and the Jets. I'm sure the Jets already do do it, but that's something that uh, to me, that's when he should care about the fans is during the off season. And look, I, I'm not going to tell you I know all the ins and outs. And Randy, thank you for the call that the Jets do in the off season. I am, I would bet just about anything that the Jets are doing all those same kind of things. I mean, the Jets do uh, tons of charity work. And people who are involved with the Jets will tell you about all the different things. And I always think it's an unfair criticism when the Giants always get the, 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 the label of, oh, they're such a classy organization. When the Jets are doing tons of classy things as well for former players, for people in the community, charity work. So all those type of things. But we're going to credit people. Unfortunately, this is the way it works with fans. You're going to get more credit when you're like the Eagles and you've won a Super Bowl. So, I mean, the Jets have not done that so far, and we'll see what they can uh, do uh, in terms of the offseason of trying to get back into the playoffs. But uh, all that type of stuff, I think that all organizations do them, and I'm sure that Adam Gase is very involved in those type of things as well. Uh, so, all right, let's talk about the Giants a little bit. 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. Uh, it took until week 17, right? Finally, we're actually, at least I am, looking forward to a Giants game. Last but not least. Giants and Eagles on Sunday obviously uh, could decide the NFC East. Eagles win, they're in. If they lose, Cowboys win, they would make. And yeah, I really kind of, I'm interested in this. Because if you're a Giant fan, obviously you would prefer that the Eagles and the Cowboys both be knocked out. But that's not a possibility. You're not able to do that. One of those teams is going to go to the playoffs. And I would think, I don't know, maybe you have a specific thing about one team more than the other. 
I would think that the Cowboys are clearly the the bigger the team you like to see suffer more. Even though the Eagles right now, I think, are the better team, right? They won a Super Bowl more recently. Cowboys haven't done that in forever. I would think that would be better for – if I were a Giant fan, I would say, you know what? I'd rather the Cowboys get in because I'm always looking at the long con. I'm always looking at the long-term results. Like the Eagles, if they lose, they're out and they and their fans will suffer. And I would think that just by – proximity, you you will know a lot of Eagle fans, so you get to see their misery, and you would be directly the result of that misery, right? Like, you beat them to keep them out. And then the Cowboys, I know it's, it's a pipe dream, but if I were a Giant fan, I would want the Cowboys to hold on to Jason Garrett forever. I would want him to get a lifetime deal, because I'm fairly confident that as long as he's there, they're never going to win. So it's not it's it's a lo- I get it it's a stretch, but if you want to make that stretch, the first part of that stretch is getting them into the playoffs, maybe getting them to win a game. And who knows? Maybe Jerry decides. You know what? We just need to give it a little bit more. T- Ten years is not enough. Let's give it a little bit more time. So I would think if I were a Giant fan, I'd actually kind of be rooting for the Eagles to get knocked out. And that the Cowboys would get in because I would want my team to win and uh, allow the Cowboys to – and especially because it looks like the Giants are going to be making a change at head coach. And at least – I think it's a bit of a stretch, but at least it's been floated there publicly that Jason Garrett would be one of the people that they'd be looking at. You heard – remember that article from about a month ago that if Jason Garrett were let go, the job that he would be looking at is the Giants, which is kind of a little gutsy, right? That you're getting ah the the preferred my preferred destination once I get fired by here is to uh, go to this team, but in terms of Sunday, this should be a pretty competitive game, right? Eagles ton to play for, and they're not really that good. They've played and won all these kind of hard fought tight games down the stretch, and the Giants could have beaten them the last time, and you'd have to say, I'm not putting a lot of weight into the last couple of wins. But I do expect that the Giants will be competitive in this game. I don't know if they're going to win it or not, but I do expect that the game is going to be close because it seems like every Eagles game is kind of close. Now, this is a huge step. I do think it's kind of strange that everybody's like, yeah, the Giants, they could definitely play with the, the Eagles are a lot better than the Giants. Even though they did play them tight last time, they still lost. So then you get into once this season ends on Sunday, and it's kind of crazy that this could still be up in the air. At least some of the takes of of the beat guys is that the results of Sunday could still fa- – like the, the Giants haven't already made up their mind on what they're going to do and that the results of Sunday could impact them one way or another. That's kind of crazy that you could be running this billion-dollar organization. And it's not like you just came in the door, right? Like the Maris and the Tishes, they've owned the team for a long time. They've been around the block. It's not like they they just bought the team a couple of years ago and they're not really sure about the, the direction they want to take. So Ralph Acchiano of SNY, he had an article about uh, Steve Tisch is very frustrated and is going to push for sweeping changes after the season. And I think we can agree, I think the general perception right now, and it could change, is that Pat Shermer will be out, but that Dave Gettleman will stay. I think that's the way most people are kind of feeling right now even though it does still seem like it's uh, it's pretty up in the air. You know, 
And let me just focus on the Shermer part of it. Plenty of times fan bases will bring up that it's not fair that one team gets treated differently than another team. Like Met fans will bring that up about, you know, yeah, if the Yankees did this, they wouldn't be getting criticized this way. Or uh, Net fans will always bring up about Nick fans. Pat Shermer really should probably be the most upset about this. Because if Pat Shermer were Adam Gase, there's no question in my mind he would be back. What was the number one job that everybody, when Adam Gase got the job, whether you liked him, whether you didn't like him, whether you were in favor of the move or not, what was the one thing that everybody said about Adam Gase? You know what? I don't like his time in Miami. I don't like this or that. But all I care about is that he develops the quarterback. That's his number one. I don't care about him in this defense, right? If the Jets go out on Sunday and get their defense gets lit up, is anybody going to complain to Adam Gase about that? No, they'll look at Greg Williams and say, what happened to your defense? So Adam Gase is... Nobody judge, even though he's the head coach, he's not the offensive coordinator, he's the head coach. But all Jet fans have focused on is whether or not he is able to develop Sam Darnold. Nothing else. They don't care about the culture. They don't care about anything other than the quarterback. Record in Miami, nothing. Personality, nothing. Quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Take a look at what Daniel Jones has done in his rookie season. Now, it's been, there's been, the highs have been very high and the lows have been very low. But you would have to say Pat Shermer was on board with him playing pretty much immediately. Like, even though he wouldn't come out and say it directly, it was pretty clear he wanted him to play sooner rather than later. And you'd have to say, based on what our expectations were going in, he's exceeded those. Now, maybe if you want to have a caveat to that, it's, it's that our expectations were so low based on draft day and all those type of things. But he's a, he's performed above what I think are reasonable expe- expectations for any rookie quarterback. If you are going to judge Daniel Jones on his complete season, even though it's not complete as of yet, you would have to say that at the worst, it's a C plus. And I think you have to give some of that credit to Pat Shermer. Now, how much credit? I don't know. That's what the Giants are going to have to kind of decide. The other thing in that it's unfair how Shermer is being treated as opposed to Gase, is that any conversations that we have at 1-800-919-ESPN about the Jets or Gase will always focus on losing Darnold to Mono, right? Or the injuries or the things that went wrong this season, the offensive line problems, the talent he has to work with. I never, ever hear any of those defenses when it comes to Pat Shermer. And here's the big one, because I think a lot of those are largely excuses, right? Your record is what it is. We're talking about the rookie quarterback and developing the rookie quarterback. Do you think the quarterback would have fared better if he had his all-world running back healthy for the majority of the season, right? Daniel Jones comes in and Saquon goes down almost immediately. Same game. And even when he came back, it was pretty clear He really wasn't back, right? Saquon was a guy that last year, rookie season, we're talking about whether or not and having the conversation about whether or not he's already the best foot, the best back in all of football. And this year, you'd have to say for Saquon has largely been a disaster. 
I mean, the injury really curtailed uh, what you were kind of hoping for in year two. So those are two things that I think Pat Shermer is not getting the benefit of the doubt for. And I think he probably does deserve the benefit of the doubt. Now, maybe he should get a burner account. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe much like Adam Gase, who uh, Manisha is saying that has a burner account. Maybe Pat Shermer has got to get on the old Twitter machine and start firing. No, I don't think that that would help. I don't think that that would help at all. But And I'm not even saying that I would bring Shermer back. I think that if push came to shove, I would probably move on from both. But I don't think that is as, as clear cut a, a, a call as many think it is because it really kind of goes back to that first year. They've only been here two years and the approach to both years have been night and day. The first year, the Giants approached it very much of let's slap some stuff together. Let's see if we can get back in the playoffs for Eli Manning. And where do you think that that approach came from? Do you? Th- I definitely don't think it came from Pat Shermer. I can say that pretty much. Now, maybe he agreed to it to get the job because he wanted to be a head coach again, and you, you're you're willing to accept things that you you really don't really want, but you you're willing to take that risk because you want the job. But I'm pretty sure that that approach was not Pat Shermer's first choice, and I'm not even sure I'm really going to put that at the feet of Dave Gettleman, even though he was the guy who was carrying that out to the law to to. to you know, as the GM, that was his job. I think that that approach probably came from ownership and really only ownership would know that. But if that was the approach from ownership, if ownership was the ones that said, you know what, this first year, let's try and get it back together and get back into the playoffs as we send, you know, Eli off here before too long. Well, then that's on, I mean, who else? That shouldn't be on Dave Gettleman. That should not be on Pat Shermer. But it looks like they're the ones that are going to have to uh, fit the bill for that. You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Talking about the Jets a little bit. We've been talking about the Giants a little bit. 1-800-919-ESPN. But sometimes the more interesting conversations are the conversations we have off the air. Now, we can't use them directly because sometimes they veer off in little directions that we can't go into. But you brought up something to me. We had an ad there about Times Square, Ty Butler. And I said, there is, I mean, I can't think of anything I would rather do less than stand in Times Square. I actually agree with you. Times Square is a disaster. Think about, think about, first off, you got to show up there pretty early, right? You can't just show up at like 11. I like to walk in and walk out as soon as possible. And I'll pay for that right. Like if they gave me, here, here's $100, you can show up at 1150 and walk right in, experience it, and by 12.05, you're in your car, head to Jersey. Uh, maybe. It's worth the fee. Right. But to stand there, I don't know what time you even have to show up. I think you have to show up at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon uh, at you, least. You probably have to get there much earlier than that. Let's just say 4 o'clock. You are going to be standing in pens. You, you are going to – it's not like, hey, let's go take a stroll. No. And you're going to be standing right on top of strangers. I don't like strangers. And it's going to be frigid. Yeah, and I don't like the cold. I'm very, I'm very delicate. I'll, I'll be honest with you. That, that, th- those are not things that adds up to uh, my uh, my strength. So what you've personally. got to do is book a hotel room and stand on the balcony, and that's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Yeah, or maybe three and you arms up, and three you legs. You brought up a possibility of like, do you want to bring that up here? Yes. Yeah, so okay. one of my favorite. Games to play sure. is Would You Rather. Uh-huh. And what I mentioned to you is 
I give you 10 jump shots from half court. Right. If you make one, you win $10 million. Okay. Life-changing money. Which is, uh, absolutely. Okay. Like, that's something that, you know, right. for the rest of your life. Uh, but if you missed all 10, mm-hmm. you've got to go to prison for, for two years. Two years. Two years in prison. Well, I just told you, I, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm delicate. So prison would not, I would not do well in that environment. I don't know. You come across to me as someone who's built for prison. <laughs> Are you still? A, uh, I don't know what that means. I, uh, that no, does, like, that does not sound like a compliment. <laughs> no, I mean it came, it came off the wrong way. Yeah. What I meant to say was you can handle twenty four minutes, uh, twenty four months on Rikers Island. <laughs> I don't think I can. I you've got the build. You've got the attitude. What are you talking? Is this just? Are you? Is this like a New Year's resolution you've made to just insult people to their face? And you said and make you, it seem like compliments. You said you wouldn't do it. No, absolutely not. Well, basically, what the the decision for me is. Do you want to spend two years in prison? Because I don't have any confidence that I would hit a half court shot. But see, that's like what it—that's what it comes down to. Or, you're, or, or even a three pointer. You're already looking at the, the consequence. pressure of that moment. You've got to look at the, your ability to hit a jump shot, and, and I think I'm you can do it. I'm not confident in that at all. I'm You've not confident to... in many things about me, but certainly not my ability to hit a jump shot. I, I think when you can do it. Prison is on the line. Prison. You've got your wife and kids to think about. Ten right, million dollars exactly. is life changing. It is life changing. Uh, you know what else is life changing? Prison. <laughs> it's also probably for me life ending. But like I said, I think you would be able to survive. I've, I've I, got confidence. I, I, I appreciate in you. your confidence. I don't know where it comes from, but uh, all right, there you go. Around the league. Didn't we didn't expect to go that way in around the league? But there you go. Uh, let's go back to the phones. One eight hundred nine one nine ESPN is the phone number. John is in uh, in the car. John, what's going on, my man? Yeah, after one week in Rikers Island, you'd pay $10 million to get out. <laughs> right, right. I don't know where Ty came up with this. He, I think he is, he's been sleep-deprived, so I think that that's where uh, yeah. that came from. Sorry about that, John. Go ahead, my friend. Yeah. Um, I, I'm agreeing with everything you're saying about the Giants except for one thing, and I hear it a lot. Uh, in that first year, you, you said, and maybe it's, you just, uh, maybe it's just the words that I'm misunderstanding, but the, the organization – didn't build that team to do anything for Eli Manning. They felt that that was the best way to win. They weren't doing anything. To well, no, I mean, but they Eli. they looked at that as getting Eli back in there. Get the the it's a, it was a win now approach, right? And and that yeah. part of that is for Eli. Yeah, I mean, he's well, going to be the beneficiary of that. I, no, I'm not saying that they yeah, were like, hey, that. let's round up the troops for Eli Manning and make it all about him. But I think that that's. They were looking as, as a playoff team, and they thought that Eli would be able to be a quarterback on a playoff team, which I don't think that that was uh, obviously the right approach. Agreed. Agreed. And I think the Giants will beat the Eagles uh, on Sunday, and I think that's a great way to go into the offseason. I don't buy into this. Uh, we lost the second-round pick and any of that stuff. That stuff will work itself out. They'll make deals, and they'll do the best that they can. Win every game that you can win. That's what... That's what a professional team does. Well, look, I, I, look. If you if you told me I could beat, I think it was different last week. If you had told me uh, with the Washington win, and I'm not not going to be in position to now draft uh, Chase Young. If you had told me the Giants won that game against Washington, but it was an ugly game, it was a sloppy game. You won on a field goal, a game that really no team deserved to win, but somebody had to win. I could understand feeling bad about maybe winning that game and losing the second overall pick and the terrible win and all these type of things. My bigger point, though, was about that is that 
Look at what Dave Gettleman, and we'll assume for this argument that Dave Gettleman's still the, the GM moving forward and he would have had the second pick. Would you really bet the house that Dave Gettleman would do the thing that everybody kind of expected he would do? In his first year, what would we all say? We're all screaming, oh, you got to get a quarterback, got to get a quarterback. Gotta, you don't take running backs high. And what did he do? He went with the running back. And then last year, at, even at this point, even like a week before the draft, nobody thought that he was thinking at number six he was going to take Daniel Jones. It wasn't until like the week of the draft that that started to kind of leak out that there was one team that liked Jones, and it was the Giants. So just because the Giants would have had the second pick, or if you could lock them into that second pick, and you said that Dave Gettleman was coming back, I don't think it was a foregone conclusion that he would have definitely taken Chase Young, especially not with as much talk about how, oh, the hog mollies, like the kid from uh, Georgia, Thomas, the big offensive line with Andrew Thomas. You could definitely see a scenario where Dave Gettleman says, yes, Chase Young is great and all, but I really want to get my hog mollies. So, and we've really not touched on Dave Gettleman at all, but his future is kind of up in the air. And Art Stapleton of NJ.com has a real good back and forth about the strengths and weaknesses of Gettleman. And I think that what plays in his favor, like I'm trying to give you, I think most fans would probably prefer to have both guys out. So I'm trying to give you the other side of things. And I think that it's fair to give you the other side, especially with Shermer. Like if Shermer got judged the same way as Adam Gase, I don't even think it was close that he would be back. Like this is his first year with a rookie quarterback. And look at how the rookie quarterback has played. Are there things he needs to improve on? Yes, clearly. But if we're giving him the blame for all these things, then you have to kind of give him the credit where credit is due. And at least in terms of the quarterback, which we all agree is the most important part of it, You'd have to give him the credit for, for, for how Daniel Jones has been able to come in and look when we all had these expectations that he was going to be a complete mess from Jump Street. As for Gettleman, the first thing is, right, he's been here two years, but he's only been rebuilding for one. And that approach the first year was about going for it. For whatever reason you think it was, it was about going for it. And I would just simply say, whose decision was that? Was that giant ownership just simply staying – you know, standing back and saying, all right, Dave, however you think is the best approach, go do that. I don't believe that in Dave Gettleman. Now, maybe he, he agreed to it because he wanted to get the job, but I feel like the, the, the real impetus for that approach came from Giants ownership. So it would be kind of unfair for Giants ownership to now sit back and say, well, you know what? You didn't win enough games in these two years, even though that first year we kind of put you up against it by trying to go for it on a, with a with a roster that clearly was not good enough to go for it. Second thing you'd have to say that's in Gettleman's favor is his track record in the draft. Like we all talk about quarterbacks, the most important thing, right? Well, if you're talking about a GM, the most important thing is being able to land players in the draft. If you're going to build your roster, you're primarily going to have success by drafting those players. And you'd have to say that his track record has been pretty good. It has not been bad. Even just this year, it's been a really good draft. Now, the first year the draft looked a lot better after that first year, and then some of those guys have kind of regressed this year, so maybe that's possible again. I'll give you both sides of it. But to get Jones, Lawrence, Slayton, Connolly looked good before he went down. I know Baker's been bad, but, I mean, he's a he's a cornerback playing as a rookie. Love has had his moments. I mean, if you want one attribute from your GM, 
It's to draft really well. Now, the problem is, and again, this kind of goes back to the approach. People will say, well, you know, that's not the only way you build a roster. He's been a disaster in free agency. He's been a disaster in trades. Well, the trades, I, I would I would agree. But again, the first year, trading a pick for Alec Ogletree, again, that was an approach. That was, that was an approach question to me. It was a bad trade or it turned out to be a bad trade. But it's generally because the approach was wrong. And you look at the the, the 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 bad free agent signings, again, I feel like most of those tie back to that approach the first year, which I don't know for sure is on Dave Gettleman. Like Nate like if the Giants came in, if Gettleman came in right away and said, You know what? You want me to get this job? Well look, this roster's not good enough. We have to rebuild from scratch. And that was the approach the first year. Do you think he would assign Nate Solder to that contract? I don't. Do you think he would assign uh, Omame to that contract? I don't think so. Jonathan Stewart? No. I think that those were those were veteran signings, which all were bad, but were trying to establish a little bit more of a base of talent in terms of veterans that you could go out and sign and kind of patchwork together what was a, the, clearly the biggest hole coming in was the offensive line, which has been better. Still, I don't know if it's really been a strength, but it's been better. So was that his idea or was that management's? Now, on the other side of it, if you do bring Gettleman back and you let him pick another head coach, you're essentially not just saying, hey, we're going to bring you back for another year. I think you kind of have to say, we're going to bring you back for the next two. You can't put him on the hot seat, and you wouldn't want to put him on the hot seat after one season, would you? Right? Because then he's going to be making decisions for the now when you really want it to be about the long-term future, whatever is the best for the long-term future. And if it takes an extra year to get enough talent here, then you don't want to be short-circuiting that process, or you shouldn't want to short-circuit that process for short-term gains rather than long-term goals. You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Ira's in Staten Island. Ira, what's going on, my man? Hey, nothing much. Uh, and, uh, you know, I missed the top 100. I had some family uh, obligation uh, last night. Um, did Namath get in? No, well, no, he was one of, I think he was one of the nominees, but no, he was not in the top 10. The top, the 10 quarterbacks that they named last night, no, he was not one of the 10. All right. Um, getting to tomorrow's game. You know what? Listen, I understand it. The Bills are going to probably sit everybody after the first quarter. I don't really care. For the Jets program, they go out there. They finish this season at seven and nine, and I understand half this team will probably need not be back on the roster. Okay. But you're building some type of foundation going forward. Whether you believe in Gase or you don't believe in Gase, you want some type of winning culture set here. And Joe Douglas is going to be here for the next, you know, five years, six years, whatever his contract is. Now he's got to get to work. Let them go out there. Let them finish seven and nine. And let Douglas go to work in the offseason. Start filling this roster. I personally think it's a two-year process. They just have too many fills to hold. It doesn't mean they can't be competitive next year. But I want Donald to go out, finish on a strong note, and hopefully, uh, you know, turn the page and get into next year. Well, look, I, when you're watching the games, uh, I have no problem with that. And Ira, thanks for the call as always. Uh, if you're sitting watching the game on Sunday, right, you, you want your team to win during the game. I, I just simply would not. I know myself, my own team, I'm not sitting there thinking that that means anything moving forward. Like we talk about momentum from week to week in the NFL. It doesn't really carry a whole lot of weight. So what what possible momentum could you have? Like if the Jets go out week one next year and have this amazing performance, am I going to look back at week 17 the year before and say, you know what, it really all started right there? It really all started? No. I, I mean, 
I get that during the games you want the performance to be there and you want to win. And and if you look at seven and nine as having some real merit, okay, fine. I don't, uh, and I would not look at that. I do not look at the uh, the Giants' win against Washington carrying any weight moving forward outside of just seeing the quarterback play well. If the Jets go out and, and play really well on Sunday and, and Darnold plays well, I guess that's important for him to continue to play well, sure. But in terms of uh, from one year to the next, I hear this all the time, bad teams, and, and generally because I'm rooting for one. And there's absolutely no carryover from one year to the next. They're completely different things, especially when you consider the amount of changes you're going to have to do to the roster. Most of the guys that are going to excel next year, a lot of them are not here. So how can it have any bearing on them? You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. If you had to put your money down on anybody of any of the coaches in town having a burner account, I think Adam Gase would probably be number one. I'm not saying he does. I have no idea. And I certainly don't think that the one that has been highlighted on Twitter as being his is his. But I could definitely see him having. And I think even more so than that, if I had to put money down on anybody of the coaches right now not having a burner account, I think Pat Shermer would be number one. But here's the thing. We go back to when he first got hired. He was on the K show. Maybe, you know, he wasn't or he was being facetious. He acted like he didn't know what social media was. Well, I think that's just what you do, right? I think everybody has kind of taken their cues that way almost from Bill Belichick, right? Bill Belichick always comes up with funny, you know, snap face and all these things. He knows what it is. Now, whether or not he's on there, I'm I'm sure he's probably not. I can't picture him having a a burner account. I I can't see him having a burner. And why would he need one? Well, you said, no, I'm talking about Adam Gase. Oh, Adam Gase? I'm not saying that he does. And I'm not saying that I would bet money that he does. But I'm saying of of the people in town, uh, Aaron Boone... Beltron, Mike Miller, Fizdale. I can see Fizdale's Mike Miller not here ha- anymore. I can see Mike Miller. Kenny Atkinson. Mike Miller having a burner account. Would is that the one you would say number one though? Yeah, I don't see it. I don't see it. I can see. I can see. Gase has a little bit of an edge to him. I like. I kind of like that part of it. Like I'm not gonna. I'm gonna do it my way, and he should do it his way because this very well might be his last chance. Like getting a second chance as a head coach is rare, but it's not unheard of. Getting a third unless he has some some success here, getting a third chance to coach, he's probably not going to get that. So he should be doing everything that he he's gotten the power now. He wanted the power. This is his organization. He should go about it the way that he sees fit. Because if it doesn't work here, chances are he's not getting another chance. Mickey Calloway definitely would have been number one on the really burner account list. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Well, he's not, you know, I put Fizdale on there because it's more recent, right? Like, I could see Fizdale being more active socially and stuff, his relationships and stuff like that. And he's working in an environment, or he had been working in an environment where controlling the narrative is important. Very important. Very important. (laughs) Very important. Uh, all right, so a couple of things I wanted to touch on before we get back to the phones. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. One headline, the Knicks beat the Nets the other day, right? And I'll be honest with you. I wasn't really focused on it all that much. I was just thankful the Knicks were not on on Christmas. This way I didn't have to watch them on Christmas. It was almost like a gift to Knicks fans. Hey, take Christmas, enjoy it with your family, and you don't have to watch Knicks basketball. But the next day they go out and they beat the Nets. And here's a thing for Knicks fans, and this is true. Knicks fans, you should never really be cons- – and they say that they're not, that they're never concerned about the Nets. Oh, the Nets, they don't – They don't matter. We don't focus on them. Well, then you can't say that. And then the next second when you beat the Nets, go on Twitter. Ha ha. We beat. 
do they matter or do they not matter? See, they don't matter to me, so I, I'm not going to make a big deal of it. But if they don't matter to you, well, then approach it that way. The second thing that I saw a headline, I think it was in the Post, and I didn't focus on the article because, again, the, the Knicks at this point, I'm just waiting to see how these things kind of play out as the season gets to the a little closer to the end. And what the, I'm hoping that there's going to be a um, an exorcism in terms of uh, changes within the organization. But I saw a headline that was resume building win for Nick's interim head coach. Resume building win. They've won four games out of ten. They've been better with with Mike Miller, but we knew that this was not some some win that I'm going to say. Well, you know what? Now I'm really think. I'm really thinking that Mike Miller is the guy to turn this around because I think largely the problems surrounding the Knicks are bigger than Mike Miller. He's just doing the best best with what he's got. But I don't look at that win as being some resume <laughs> resume building win. I think that's part of the resume you'll leave out. This is not uh, there's not many things in this um, this season that are going to be highlighted for the uh, the, the 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 year in video. It's going to be a tough one to put together. Let's put it that way. Outside of R.J. Barrett highlights and maybe some Mitchell Robinson dunks. That's about it. And maybe the trade deadline. That would be nice. Let's Julius Randle's played a lot better lately, though. He has played a lot He's better. He's been inspired by the David oh, Fisdale firing. Yes, clearly. It's, it's all upward and onward. Yes, clearly. Mike Miller, though, four wins in ten games. Yeah. Just as many as uh, David Fisdale had in like 22. something games, right, yeah. So that, clearly he's better. Uh, it, clearly. Well, I mean, it couldn't be much worse, right? I mean— you could actually make the argument that David Fisdale was so bad that the season got away from him, but by not firing him, they should have fired him earlier. But it's all, it's also maybe if Mike Miller came in, they would have actually been able to salvage not salvage a playoff. They'd spot, be a seventh they, seed. Yeah, I don't think that that would have been a possibility. But it's but, funny because just it feels like a few months ago, the narrative about Fisdale was he's a player's coach. You know, guys around the league want to play for him. He's inspiring. He's going to revitalize the organization, and then quickly it just changed. Well, I think that the I think that the message there is don't follow the narrative, right? Like the, following the narrative, just follow the results and follow what you actually see with your eyes, rather than focusing on what the narrative is. Because with the the narrative surrounding the Knicks, almost always, at least from Knicks fans' perspective, is almost always wrong. Like it's always too positive, it's always too rosy, and it never turns out to be the right thing. So you mean to tell me Giannis isn't coming here in two years? <laughs> I thought it was Carl Anthony Towns. Oh, is like, that the new how one? How does that get in the paper? Like, haven't we been down? It's like a Mad Lib. It's like, just cross out the name that was there, and now this is the new savior. Well, if you're a Knicks fan, you got to root for the Bucks not to get to the NBA Finals in the next year and a half. You'd have to root for all other NBA teams to go bankrupt. And then maybe he might say, you know what, I really want to be in New York. I really want to be. I, I, I want to be I'm the not, one to bring a championship back I, to New York City. I never. I, I don't want to discount it completely because who knows? Maybe it does have a possibility. But how could you say it out loud at this point? It sounds. It's almost like when I tell my wife I'm going on a diet. You know what I mean? Like this is the year, sweetie. I'm going to get into shape. This is the year I'm going to count, cut out those snacks at night, sitting in bed watching TV. It, it's not happened. If it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. And what you should do is so just So Giannis to, or Carl Anthony Towns or me getting a six-pack, they're all pipe dreams. To help you allow, you know, facilitate that, buy your wife a Peloton so we can be all outraged. My wife would be ecstatic with a Peloton. You say, look, I had, the, 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 uh, this is kind of off track. 
I got a, a sharper image catalog where they were trying to sell women home electrolysis. You want to be upset, upset. Get your wife a home electrolysis set for, for Christmas. Hey, sweetie, I noticed you had a couple of loose hairs there. <laughs> yeah. The Peloton all of a sudden won't seem like such a bad thing. Hey, it's the Gordon Damer Show. It's 98.7 FM ESPN New York. Let's get back to some phone calls. 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. We still have to touch on the uh, the New York Post's list of debacles of the decade. How long do you think they were putting that together? Because there's a lot. They, they could have had a list about 50 long. But uh, let's go out to Spike in Jersey. Spike, what's going on, my man? <laughs> Home electrolysis. Listen, I give you an 11-foot old rickety wooden ladder for the 10 mil or Rikers. I put you 11 feet up. I still. I say don't want you, anything to do with Rikers. I don't even want to drive I, past Rikers. I say you don't make it if you've got an 11 foot ladder no, and you got I, the I think, I think. I think that Ty actually does not like me, and he he brings up these things hoping that to get rid of me. I you got to know. You got look what I know about Ty. If the more he talks to you, the more he likes you. He's a good kid. Here, here we go. Bottom line. The Giants quarterback, with my uneducated eye in football, has done better this year than the Jet quarterback. I haven't seen that much improvement from Sam Darnold. One comment on Gettleman, um, I think he stays because I think you nailed it. I think he drafted very, very well this, this go-around. It remains to be seen. And one last comment, and of course, Happy New Year. Do you watch Blue Bloods? No. You never watched it? No. Okay, all right, then this is irrelevant, right. who, who Mike Miller looks like. So anyway, uh, as far as the Knicks go, um, it's perfect now. Julius Randle had two decent games, so he's ready to be traded. Uh, I just wonder if the Lakers ain't taking him back, and the Pelicans aren't taking him, but we've got to find a team that'll take him so we can get a... Uh, late first-round pick, because he's long-term. He's not the solution to this problem. And Fisdale didn't come through because he's not a good in-game coach. He promised to deliver the guys that we saw sitting at the end of the Nets match. Can you imagine if the Knicks made that deal and had Durant, Zion, and Kyrie Irving all sitting in the bench with suits on? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing about uh, especially Kyrie, because it doesn't seem like he's coming back anytime soon. Uh, and, and that kind of ties back to one of the points I was bringing up earlier, you know, that uh, it's, it's reversed, that some fan bases always feel like it's, they're not being treated like the other fan base. But could you imagine if the Knicks had signed Kyrie Irving and now he has sat out? How many games has he missed now? 15 games? I mean, it's been a while since he's played. And it doesn't seem like, who knows, maybe there'll be an announcement uh, in a week that all of a sudden he's over it and it's all good, it's, he's, he's ready to go. doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. So, yeah, it's it's not a good situation. And it, it's going along fine because the Nets are winning enough games where they'll likely be okay and, and it'll come down to playoff positioning at the end and hopefully he'll be back by that point. But at least in terms of return on investment, all the concerns you had and that I had that the guy does not – he misses ga- – I mean he misses games all the time. He's always He's always hurt. It does not look like a good situation with whatever that situation is because we have not gotten a lot of details on why he's missing this much time. We know it's the shoulder, but just how long of a of a of an injury that's going to be doesn't seem like it's moving in the direction of him coming back anytime soon. You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on ninety eight point seven ESPN. We've touched on the uh, one hundred uh, the list of the NFL's top one hundred players, the quarterbacks. There's another list out from the New York Post, and it is the uh, debacles of the decade. Steve Serby has it, and it's not. It, they always do these lists wrong. You have to do the list backwards. You have to start with 
number he has 15. I, I guess he probably I would have figured they would have went with 10, but there's just been so many that he had to probably expand the list. Uh, 15 is the uh, Rex Ryan uh, foot fetish video. That was always a um, that was a good one, right? In terms of debacles. That's number 15, which seems kind of low to me. I feel like that one should have been much higher up. 14, LeBron picks the Heat over the Knicks. He was never picking the Knicks. It wasn't like he was trying to come up, well, what team do I want to go to? The Knicks the Knicks were only on the list in Knicks fans' minds. He was not – he's never coming here to play for the Knicks. So that one I don't even think belongs on the list. 13 is the Derek Fisher-Matt Barnes fight, which again is embarrassing at the time. I feel like there's there's – and there will be because the Knicks uh, have other things on this list. The Cespedes injury mishandled and the re-injury, that one, that probably should be higher up, right? Guy's hurt, comes back for one game, and he announces, yeah, I'm going to have to have heel surgery and uh, I'm gone. <laughs> that was – the fact that that's only at 12 feels low. Feels low. But well, let's go through the list and we'll see which ones we, uh, we like uh, more. 11, Nets trade their whole future to the Celtics. That was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. But it's kind of turned out okay for them, right? Like if that doesn't happen, maybe they don't take the approach that they had where they knew that there were seasons already lost and they don't put the people in place that are there right now. The Giants' boat trip before the playoff loss, which I've always felt like is so completely overrated. Like to think that anything that happened in that game was the result of players going on a boat trip is always – uh, and they didn't play well. Odell did not play well, so he'll always be uh, kind of tarnished with that. JPP's fireworks mishap is number nine. IK and – how do you say that guy's name? Incompali. Incompali. That, that should be higher on yeah, the list. You're punching out the quarterback on the team. The starting quarterback. Yeah, because he didn't pay you money. $600. 600 bucks. You punch him right in the face. In the locker room. In the locker room. And none of his teammates Broke came his to jaw. save him. Yeah, that's not a, that's not good. That should be higher on the that list. That should be higher up on the list. Seven, Charles Oakley ejected from MSG, which certainly was an ugly scene. And I know it's not a popular opinion, but I feel like Oakley went into that looking for a little trouble. It was not coincidence that he ended up where he was. Now, could it have been handled maybe a little bit better? The optic was certainly bad. Seeing a former great player being dragged out by police, not great. But, um, yeah, that one was pretty ugly. Eli being benched for Gino. Is that worse, though, than Gino being punched in the face? I don't think so. It's I think not. Gino getting punched in the face is way worse. Because one is a sign of coaching incompetence. The other is right. just you know an absolute embarrassment. All right, so that's six. Number five is the Knicks' failed plan for Zion, Durant, and Kyrie. All right, I guess. I guess that's a debacle. For the Knicks hire Phil Jackson, which turned out to be, but at the time nobody thought, everybody was pretty much on board with that one. But it's the same you can say about the Nets trading the future to the Celtics. Everyone was, you know, pretty much on board with that as well. Ah, no, not at the time. I think a lot of people thought, well, man, maybe, I guess they did. They thought, you know, the, the team had a certain ceiling and that you just try well, to remember, maximize that ceiling. They had Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, and now you're adding KG and Paul Pierce, who you thought at the time still had some gas Yeah, there you know, were people that liked that deal at the time. I, I was not really among them, but yeah, okay. Uh, A-Rod suspension and then sues everybody. I feel like that one might be a little high up on the list. I think I probably would move that one down, especially because of the way that A-Rod, at least publicly, has been able to kind of uh, rebound his reputation. 
And then number two is the Wilpon Madoff Association, which means the Mets don't spend. That I think is appropriate because they have – if they do not win a World Series here in the next two or three seasons, you'd have to certainly feel like that this has been a, a big wasted opportunity. And part of that at least is it has to be tied into the fact that they had this base of talent that they did not add to appropriately enough. And part of that was because the, the owners of the team were not financially able to do so. And maybe they should not have been owning the team all this time. So that one I think is fair at number two. And then number one, clearly when you're talking about just an individual play, the butt fumble, I think it's mostly because of the name the butt fumble. Like if he had – if it had been the hip fumble, right? Like if if he had just simply turned his hip a little bit, was it Brandon Moore? I think yeah. it was Brandon Moore. Mm-hmm. Brandon Moore, it was just had been his hip. It's the fact that it was his butt <laughs> on, like national that, on national television against the New England Patriots. Against the Patriots, yeah, that was that was pretty bad. So yeah, I guess if you're going to have one highlight or low light in this case, that would probably be number one. So I'd agree with number one. The other ones, I think, I'd probably have a little different positioning. And the one that I think that would probably be way higher for me is number fifteen. Is there anything that they left out? I wonder what didn't make the because uh, you'd have to think the Porzingis trade certainly seems like it could be one of them. Oh, maybe that turns into. Maybe that's there, although he does not mention it. Oh, yeah, he does mention it, the cap space for the Porzingis trade. Because you think about it, you traded Porzingis, who was this the one shining light that you had. You traded him for cap space, which you didn't end up using, and the best player that you got back in Dennis Smith Jr. certainly seems like he's going to be out the door before too long as well. So I think that one probably, the Porzingis trade, not just the, the failed of Zion, because Zion was never in their control anyway. How about the Jacoby Ellsbury contract? Yeah, that's not in there either. Now, was that – when did he sign? Yeah, no, that would have been this decade. Yeah, that probably should have been in there as well because that was a that was a disaster from jump. That one you knew right away it was not going to turn out well, and it did not. It did not. You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. I was having a wonderful holiday season, really felt part of the joy and the celebration that is the holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's right around the corner, a fresh start in 2020. And then comes the news on Christmas, was it Christmas Eve, that the Mets had signed Dellen Batances, which for the Mets is a great move, absolutely to me, if he is healthy which I guess you have to, with the Mets sometimes, you always have to wonder. And their track record in terms of uh, some of these moves have not turned out uh, that great. And he did have injuries last year, basically missed the entire season. But assuming that the medicals check out, what a home run of a move that the Mets made there. And look, is it risky? Yeah, it is risky. Because he is coming off a year where he basically didn't pitch and had two different injuries, the, the shoulder as well as the, uh, the Achilles, which ended his season before it uh, really ever began. Just when you thought, hey, Dylan Batances is coming back for the Yankees, another big reliever to add to that bullpen. And then uh, he throws a couple of pitches basically up in uh, Toronto, and then he's gone again and now gone for good. And it never felt like the Yankees were making really any traction. You listen to... All the insiders, Jack Curry or um, Joel Sherman, all these, they all said that the Yankees were really not all that interested in bringing Dylan Batances back, which to me really never made any sense. You look at the contract that he got with the Mets, it wasn't like he was, he, he signed some, you know, if this was the contract that uh, Jay Reese Familia signed last year, 
you'd say, okay, fine, that's that's you know three years, a lot of money. It's basically a one-year deal. And the old line in baseball, there are no bad one-year deals. Well, there's certainly no bad one-year deals if Dellen Batances is healthy and if he can get back to who he is. And who he is is one of the most dominant relievers in the sport. Now, I don't think he's ever going to get back to where he was when he first burst on the scene, basically uh, that first real big year. He was up in 2013. I think he was up even before that. But 2014, in 90 innings, he pitched to an ERA of 1.64 and a whip walks and hits to innings pitched, which if you are at around one, is excellent. Excellent, excellent. His whip that year was 0.778. And again, he struck out uh, 135 batters in 90 innings and pitched to a 1.4 ERA. He is a guy that has not really had a history of success as a closer, but what he is is a stopper. He comes into when you are in the fifth inning, the sixth inning, the seventh inning, and the game is on the line. When healthy, Dellen Batances is the guy you go get, and he shuts down the other team. And I get it. This year, he was not a non-factor. But even when he was last healthy, which was 2018, he was, again, outstanding. He pitched to an ERA in 66 games of 2.70. 66 innings, he struck out 115 guys. So basically... He struck out just about two guys per every inning. Not quite, but pretty close. And his whip then, it wasn't the 0.7, but it was 1.0. Again, excellent. So if he is healthy, what an outstanding... It might be the best move the Mets have made in quite some time. Because that guy's stuff, even in a Yankee bullpen, which is loaded with arms, loaded with high-power, high-leverage relievers, when right... He was, in terms of stuff, in terms of, of performance, he was as good as anyone. And sometimes, you know it, the closer role is kind of overrated, right? He comes in in the ninth inning a lot of times where the game is not on the line anymore and he picks up a save and the save stat is kind of a silly stat that was come up with a thousand years ago and doesn't really tell you whether or not someone is good or not. It's just some counting stat that we kind of have given this power to that doesn't really belong with. It's a lot of times the guys who come in in the sixth inning, in the seventh inning, when there's guys on base and you got to get a big strikeout to get out of that, and that's when the game is being threatened right then and there. And Dylan Batanz is one of those guys who can come in and probably as good as anybody. He's never been – a lot of times those guys, like Mariano Rivera, right? In 96, Mariano Rivera was that guy for the Yankees. What happened the following year? He became the Yankee closer. Dylan Batances has never been that guy who has been able to excel when he's got he's, – he's been okay. He's saved some games. But he's never been that guy who has been elevated to the closer despite having this unhittable kind of stuff. So I think that's an absolutely slam dunk of a move for the Mets, even though he is coming off an injury. And when you're talking about the Mets, that does make you a little bit more leery than maybe some other teams, Right. Like the Mets, you could definitely see a scenario where the guy who was hurt the year before basically didn't pitch. The Mets sign him to some big contract, and then he gets the spring trading, and all of a sudden the injuries pop up again. That would not be uh, all that outrageous considering some of the Mets' history. 
But to me, that's a great move and one that for a Yankee fan, uh, I, I got to be honest, it, it made me kind of <laughs> made me kind of ill. Did not make me feel good seeing Dellen Batanz as one of my favorite Yankees standing in that uh, Mets jersey. And from a Yankee point of view, I've said this before, when it comes to relievers, right, like the Yankees have a pretty good track record of knowing who to get, who to stay away from. Their guys generally come in and perform well, especially in a position that seems to have a lot of fluctuation. Guys who are awesome one year, they come back and they're not the same the next year. Edwin Diaz would be a perfect example. Take a look at what his 2017 was and take a look at what his 2018 was. If he had just simply been mediocre in 2018, or in 2019, excuse me, 2019 to 2018 to 2019, the Mets probably would be in the playoffs. But he was just so bad and just got victimized by home runs so much that that it was uh, – when you got through the season, it's kind of almost a surprise that the Mets are going to try again with him. And it certainly seems like he's going to be in the mix for, for closing uh, duties with the Mets, even with the improved bullpen. But the bullpen is something that's killed the Mets for so long that, to me, the Dylan Batances move, if you have to, to impact your team for $10 million, it is absolutely a move worth making even if it turns out that it does go the way of so many other ones for the Mets, that uh, the guy who was hurt before remains hurt later. Uh, in terms of the Yankees, I will just say, it's great that they got Garrett Cole, but is that it? Is that all we're doing this offseason? We're not doing anything else, huh? I love Cole. Don't get me wrong. And I, that, was the, that was the move to make. We all wanted to be made. It was made. It's fantastic. I love it. Great. Can't wait for the season. Get pitchers and catchers ready to roll. But that's it. That's the finishing touch, huh? The backup catcher situation really concerns me. Because well, you know Gary Sanchez. Pencil yeah. him in for 60 games okay. on the disabled list. But, you know, I can I can live with the backup catcher for a couple of weeks here and there if Gary goes on the DL. I don't know. I'd like a little... It's what, what have you done for me lately, right? Like, yes, Garrett Cole was fantastic, but that was almost a month ago now. Give me some. I'm a, I'm a Yankee fan. I'm expecting big things, big moves. Let's you know, get it done. You know who you got? Severino for, for, for a full no, look, season. I'm, I'm excited about the season. I'm just saying I'd like a, if we're going to lose Batances for basically $10 million, can you give me something else? Something else is I'm done. You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN.